All right. Well, welcome to the latest edition of the Hypocritical Podcast. I'm your host, Olena Hugh, and with me today is our Chief Marketing Officer, Rick Kuahara. Hi, Olena. We've got a lot ahead on this latest Hypocritical Podcast for you. Of course, we're going to start with what's making the news. Rick, take it away. Thanks, Lena. Uh, yeah, so what's in the news? Uh, not to toot our own horn too much, but uh, we have a pretty big launch that we did recently of Project Orca, which is our newest HIPAA compliance solution. And it's an email marketing platform. So you can kind of think of it like a, a HIPAA compliant MailChimp. And we're really excited for it. Uh, we developed it based on feedback from our own customers and just kind of seeing what's in the marketplace. And healthcare has been really behind the times when it comes to email marketing, only because of how HIPAA regulations really make it tough to do a lot of the best practices like uh, segmentation, being really personal, um, having really relevant emails that are just really targeted. Um, and with Project Orca, you know, people can now do that and still be HIPAA compliant even if they are using you know, patient information to kind of segment and target their emails. So really excited for it. It's now open uh, for all users and we are developing it really fast. So we just, for example, um, launched a new feature for segmentation and lists. So that's really great for things like uh, population health. If you have people with a specific uh, health problem, you can send relevant information just to them um, and not worry about it being um, something that is not HIPAA compliant. Excellent. Congratulations. I know you guys have been working on it for a little while now and you already have some people signed up. Right. Yeah, we had an early access program uh, that we launched very early on and um, those people who signed up for that um, have access to the product roadmap and they're able to get their feedback to kind of shape how, you know, we develop Project Orca. Um, so really excited for it. We have a bunch of people signed up already, including some health systems. So I'm excited to see where this goes. We think that there's a really good market for it. And um, if people want to find out more, they can just go to our website. Wonderful. Yes. And our website is powbox.com. That's P-A-U-B-O-X.com. Rick, what else do you have for us as far as news headlines? Well, we have a couple things. Uh, and one of them, of course, seems to be ransomware. Every week we seem to be talking about ransomware, but there's another one that is out that the FBI just sent an alert for. It's called Maze Ransomware. And it's a little bit different than other ransomwares where um, they typically will just lock the data down and then in order for you to unlock it, then they ask you to pay the ransom. Well, Maze is a little bit different because, you know, a common uh, defense against that is just to have really good backups in place. And um, when that happens, you don't need to pay the ransom because you have a good backup system. You can just get your data back yourself. Um, but how Maze differs is it doesn't just lock the data down, it actually extracts it. And the Maze hackers then leverage that for the payment for the ransom. So I even see. if you refuse to pay, then they're going to release all this private information out. Oh, <laughs> getting more and more developed. Yeah. So I'm like, the hackers are always trying to be one step ahead. And so the FBI released a warning um, recently just to be on the watch out for it. 
and um, typically is cyber criminals posing as legitimate security vendors or even government agencies to get someone to click on that email and deploy the ransomware. So it started back in November is when they saw the uptick in it and the FBI is just warning everybody to be on the watch out for it. And they did give some takeaways for people to just try and uh, defend yourself against it. Uh, of course, being vigilant first, but being sure that you have your systems updated and patched, especially for legacy systems, which are like older systems that you just consistently patch over time. So a lot of companies do that, especially older ones. So making sure you're always up to date with the latest version of your software, having multi-factor authentication where possible. And of course, like I said before, just being vigilant and training your staff. Mm -hmm. That is uh, valuable because just one person can compromise everything. Right, exactly. All right, and we have more to report in terms of HIPAA violations. Yeah, this one's a, so this was an interesting one. So this recently made the headlines where a man in Georgia was charged for actually making fake HIPAA violation claims. So unlike a case where someone, uh, there was a HIPAA violation, there's this uh, case in Georgia where uh, a man was charged with one count of making false statements um, because he alleged that there was a nurse at a hospital in Georgia that violated HIPAA by emailing uh, graphic pictures of traumatic injuries of people who were treated at the hospital. So this supposed whistleblower um, leaked it to the media and tried to get that person in trouble um, for HIPAA violations. But it turns out after investigations that it actually was the person who was reporting it would made made it all up, and uh, it seemed that there's no motive so far. But the um, the news station that he had contacted dug into it, and it seems that the motive seems to be just to get back at an ex girlfriend. Ah, uh, so so he thought he was so clever. Yeah, so I uh, you know. They say women scorned, but I guess, you know, this guy, you know, for a man scorned, he did, he took, tried to go an extra step, but interesting. yeah, good on the investigation for figuring out, figuring it all out. And, um, an interesting note too, is that they have no idea if the photos that he used were of actual patients. The initial investigation says it's not, but if he did, then that adds a new wrinkle into it then he could be some kind of in, you know, some kind of uh, yeah. trouble if he took someone else's <laughs> photos and then sent it to the media. Yeah. And if it, and if, I mean, he's working at the hospital and he took actual patients one, then that hospital can be on the hook. So mm. it's very, it, it can go down a bad path if it turns out that he used uh, pictures of actual patients. Wow. Yeah. But for right now he's facing fines uh, up to 250,000 and, uh, maximum sentence of five years in prison. Well, that's good because, you know, this is a serious topic and not one that should be made fun of. Yeah. All right. Well, we also like to focus on winners and failures. And coming up this week, we have a good amount of people who are winning. Yeah, we do. And there's some, the first winner that we got to talk about is actually uh, Google. Really big win for researchers um, is the FDA real-world evidence is going to be made available on Google Cloud. So Google, which uh, helps the 
FDA with an open source uh, platform called My Studies um, is going to be making it available. And that's going to make it easier to access data for research into new medications, uh, medical devices, and just more information. So it's really great that you know this data is going to be open because um, it's going to just help you know more organizations perform research that can lead to better patient outcome. Can you give a better example of maybe how this would be beneficial? Yeah. Um, so as part of the initial uh, initiative, um, Google is going to bring their My Heart Counts. A research study that was run by Stanford University onto the FDA's platform. So what that did was it enrolled more than 60,000 participants to help better understand um, people's uh, cardiovascular risk scores. Uh, and until now, all those participants were all iOS users. So My Heart Counts was launched back in 2015 as part of the first group's um, iOS research apps. But by enabling it through my studies, Google Cloud will help research expand the insights to enable enrollment for both Android and iOS users. So we're not just stuck on one platform. And that's better because, you know, even though iOS is a huge platform, Android is obviously bigger, right? So you're enabling it to get uh, more people who can participate in the study, get more data and get better insights. Excellent. And I am a Mac user and you are a? Yeah, I'm a Mac. So yeah, Mac user for laptop and computer, but yeah, phones are Android. So like uh -huh. I would not have been able to participate if, you know, I was uh, fitting their criteria. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it just opens up uh, more data for them and hopefully they can do that uh, through more programs. Excellent. Uh, who else is winning for us this week? So John Hopkins. Um, is a winner this week. They're spearheading a Chesapeake Digital Health Exchange uh, that's aiming to spur regional startup growth in that uh, Maryland, D.C., North Virginia area. So we're seeing more activity to kind of uh, buy health systems, um, to kind of push innovation, which is fantastic. And John Hopkins uh, is leading the charge and they won a three-year, $1.3 million grant from the U.S. Economic Development Administration. So they got some money behind it. And they're going to focus just on really building a startup ecosystem to kind of connect people, really make a community around healthcare innovation. And it's really exciting. Um, you know, as we talked about before, I think on the last show, you know, we saw NYU uh, Langone Health do a biotech incubator incubator in Manhattan. So now we're seeing, you know, this digital health exchange coming up in um, the Northeast. And it's just exciting to kind of see how there's more of this innovation culture being uh, and forward focus getting developed in healthcare. Mm -hmm. So really exciting. It's almost like a cultivation. Yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, we saw it at the, I think, the CES, the, the huge uh, electronics show that was uh, recent, that recently finished up. I mean, there was a lot of digital health products out there for, and like wearables for consumers to take a look at. So I think it's great that there's 
formal ways that organizations and health systems kind of kind of cultivate that. So it can only help everybody move forward and get better health outcomes. Well, as we just focused on those that are winning, we also have some failures. Yeah, and unfortunately, like we say, there's there's always a lot of these around. Um, and one of the bigger ones that happened recently was uh, the data of about 50,000 Alamir health patients were exposed by uh, an employee getting their email hacked. So it looks like um, there was a hack for two employee accounts, um, and that's for Alamir Health, which is based in Minnesota. Um, the staff first discovered that there was access, uh, unauthorized access on one employee account on November 6th. That was secure. They did an investigation, and um, it looks like there was another account that was hacked as well. So two email, attack, uh, email accounts are compromised, and it contained patient names, um, contact details, dates of birth, just a lot of health information, including like uh, social security numbers too, like very sensitive data. So they couldn't tell if the data was actually viewed by the attacker, but you know, they are, you have to kind of assume so uh, on the worst case. So they did reach out to all the people who are affected and, you know, kind of help them with their, um, identity, uh, you know, tracking their identity, making sure there's no identity theft, things like that. But yeah, another bad, uh, bad hack that happened from email. Yikes. <laughs> and knowing that your social security number and possibly your driver's license numbers and all of that could have been compromised definitely puts about 50,000 people at risk. Yeah, bad situation. Definitely uh, a downer around the holidays, you know, with just everything that just happened. Um, and, but it's great that they're trying to help everybody out with it and just got to really keep an eye out on their um, identity identities and track that and make sure that, you know, there's no identity theft. Mm -hmm. And good thing that once they found something was compromised, they did more research and found that there was another issue. So uh, hopefully able to nip that in the butt. Right. Uh, another failure, uh, 25,000 patients, their information might be compromised as well. Uh, this is for uh, the Native American Rehabilitation, Rehabilitation Association of the Northwest based in Portland, Oregon. They were affected by a malware attack. So um, it looks, this organization provides education, physical and mental health services, and substance abuse treatment services to Native Americans. Uh, so you know, great organization. And they have learned that there was a malware infection that, you know, potentially allowed unauthorized people to gain access to PHI. So this happened um, around November 4th. They contained it um, by November 5th and reset everything by the 6th. So they did a real good job of reacting quickly to it. Uh, but the malware itself they did find that it was called the um, Emotet Trojan, which basically steals login information and can also take out, um, you could say export, um, but it can grab all emails and email attachments. And so it's possible in that way they could have took information that contained PHI. 
And of course, like we said, that includes, it could include your social security number, your birth date, your medical record or patient ID numbers. Even like if someone's emailing about treatments, it could take that information. So a lot of bad things could have happened um, and it possibly affected 25,000 patients. Well, props to them though. They activated very quickly. Yeah, at least they, and they found it really fast. So that's great that they had, um, you know, detection systems in place that they were able to, you know, find it. You ideally would like to do it faster even than what they did, but, you know, they did find it. So that's great. Excellent. And I'm glad that you always kind of see the silver lining in the failures as well. <laughs> we try to. It's, we don't want to be downers. Yes, but, of course. But, you know, there's just a lot of threats out there. I mean, it's tough for anyone to to stay up. So, you know, it's always good to see when there's organizations who can react well to it. Mm -hmm. And a lot to learn from as well. Yeah. Well, this week, our chief marketing officer, Rick Kuahara, was able to sit down with Arthi Kuhar and Beth Jago, co-founders of The Shrink Space, a female-founded HIPAA and VPAC compliant software platform that streamlines the off-campus mental health referral process for university counseling centers, and they also improve access for care to students nationwide. During this interview, they discussed the challenges of running a digital health startup and how technology is helping youth gain access to help they need. Take a listen. You know, fortunately, there still does seem to be a lot of stigma around mental health, especially for youth. Um, how do you both see digital health being able to help with that? Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's a great question. I think this is one that we've talked a lot about. We've um, put a lot of thought into the stigma around mental health as we've been, you know, designing and building out our platform. Um, you know, and here I think one of the most important things is that, you know, we really understand the technological expectations of both students and young adults today. Um, and in many ways, you know, I think our mental health field really needs to modernize to meet students and youth where they're at, you know, which is often on their phones. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, just as young adults expect to be able to make, you know, dinner reservations online, or they expect to be able to book their next vacation online, you know, I think they also expect to be able to, to connect and book a therapy session online. Um, you know, and the fact that this capability is just not ubiquitous, I think contributes to some of that stigma and the mystery um, surrounding mental health treatment. Um, so on our site, what we've done is, is really designed it intentionally to be intuitive, to be accessible, and just to provide more transparency for students about the mental health search process. Um, so, you know, on our site, you'll notice that much of our our interface resembles what you might see on an open table or an Airbnb. Mm -hmm. um, and we've done this so that students feel a sense of familiarity, feel a sense of comfort and trust as they're navigating through our site. Um, because, you know, we think that when an online experience feels familiar and expected to students, that this will help to contribute to a reduction in stigma. Um, right. So there's that piece. And then, you know, I think we've also on the extra mile to have a social media presence and a blog for our students to just sort of further normalize mental health care um, and the process of access and treatment. That's, that's great, especially um, like you mentioned, it can be a daunting process to try and you know, get help if you need Absolutely. it, even to take that step. So anything you guys, you, you know, it's great that what you're doing to make it easier. 
Yeah, that's part of the goal. Okay, so one of the biggest challenges, you know, with any healthcare uh, piece of healthcare technology is being able to keep the data private and secure. Uh, so when you envisioned the shrink space, how early did you take into consideration securing all the um, PHI you'd be handling? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, a very, very important question. Um, so Beth and I went into this assuming that this would be the industry standard. I think from our expectations, um, being psychologists ourselves and how we protect student data. Um, and so the thought was that anytime student PHI or protected health information was being handled, particularly on behalf of a university, we would honestly need to protect it and keep it in, and keep it secure. Um, and so this has always been one of our goals. Um, and we think about it in the way of when a student goes to therapy, they expect confidentiality mm-hmm. and they should expect the same trust and privacy in the shrink space technology. So all that being said, we also understand and completely appreciate what you're saying, which is keeping patient data private and secure can honestly pose challenges and difficulties because of course this means that features are more costly and more timely to build. Um, And it can also be difficult at times to manage and balance the needs of a university counseling center for good reason, really wanting to know uh, where a student is at in connecting to an off-campus provider Mm -hmm. uh, and wanting that data. Um, Then also needing to make sure we're protecting our student privacy. Beth and I decided early on that privacy was of paramount importance, and so we've prioritized it. Uh, And for many reasons, honestly, we're very glad that we did because it's allowed us to create a back-end infrastructure from the start, and it now gives us uh, and provides us with a framework that allows us to add more complicated features, such as asking students for their consent before we share any referral disposition to our university counseling centers. Um, And it also, in, in regards to future features, is allowing us to work through facilitating the flow of information between each of our users. Um, and you know, ultimately, that is the goal of HIPAA, to help with care coordination and help with information flow. Um, and so while it has been timely and costly to implement and make sure that our PHI was being handled securely, we're also very glad that we did because it allows for our future growth. That's great. Yeah, like you, that's a good point, what you said about HIPAA. Um, a lot of people feel HIPAA actually can sometimes hurt information flow uh, with this regulation. So that's a big challenge you guys are taking on, um, sure. you know, working with those universities. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, I think HIPAA was built kind of in this structured box to some degree, and it can be complicated to know how does it apply in the wild or in real time. Um, and ultimately I think, you know, the, the goal of HIPAA to protect patient privacy and to improve care coordination, you know, it, it, it ultimately works if you're following the format of HIPAA. And while it is difficult, it has, um, I think, served us well because it allows us to instill that trust um, with our student, but also with our universities. Great. And it's also, you know, it's good that you are taking, you know, security into consideration, you know, as you're designing your platform. That must have been a great help when you're actually going out to universities. You know, I'm sure they had, you know, some worries about the security of everything. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I think it has certainly alleviated concerns. I think we've seen some schools um, more concerned about it than others. I think it's complicated to know, you know, how much does HIPAA apply in these third party vendor situations? Um, and they've felt a lot of relief knowing that we're compliant because it allows them to say, you know, we may not know what, you know, the rules are here, um, but we want to make sure that if we're handing off the care coordination to the shrink space, they're continuing to handle PHI in the way that we would be expected to. Uh, and so I think that that's been a real advantage um, in you know, us choosing to, to be compliant. So what's your vision going forward in the next like, 10 years? Yeah, you know, I, I think our vision, um, just as Arthi is mentioning, um, is really to just continue to improve the mental health care coordination process um, through our platform for all three of our users. So, you know, for university counseling centers, we plan to continue to grow and improve so that our service is more seamlessly integrated with other third-party services that universities might already use. Um, so something, for example, like EMR systems, um, you know, to make sure that we're integrating with them with the overall goal of really saving them more administrative time. Um, and for students, young adults on our platform, it's really to help them efficiently connect with mental health providers so that they can spend more time in therapy, actually working through the things that they need to, rather than spending time trying to find a therapist, um, you know, or even feeling demoralized when the referrals given to them are just not a good fit for a number of reasons. Um, and, you know, and then lastly, I think for our mental health care providers, we want to continue to improve their practice management by automating parts of the referral process that are easily automated so that then therapists can spend more time doing the part of the work that they love, you know, doing the very human component of therapy that we believe no technology can ever replace. Um, you know, and beyond that, I think we hope to you know, one day become the one-stop shop for mental health care providers as a, a space they can come to find renters for their private practice offices, um, to join consultation groups about um, client issues, um, to look for supervisors, etc. So that's sort of the, a longer term goal. And to read the transcript and to hear more, you can also visit our website, powbox.com. That's P-A-U-B-O-X. Com. All right, Rick, great interview. Now we're moving on to predictions. Thanks, Elena. Um, yeah, predictions. So first prediction of 2020 uh, that uh, I'm going to make in the year 2020. So uh, population health, we think that's going to become more important this year, um, especially as, you know, more healthcare organizations are shifting to a value-based payment system which is you're getting paid on outcomes versus getting paid on doing a treatment itself. So you can kind of think of it like um, instead of, you know, health systems getting paid or healthcare providers getting paid on um, treating someone who has high blood pressure, they're going to get paid more on um, how has your, uh, overall population blood pressure uh, has gone down um, or how can you get um, your at-risk segments 
to improve their um, overall health. So value-based payment systems are going to be a great way to help move people and encourage people to do more preventative health care. Uh, so doing the things um, like your regular health checkups, um, if you are in a high-risk group, you know, helping to educate patients more on what they can do to um, reduce their risks uh, even, and being more proactive and reaching out to them. So um, this is really going to drive home that a lot of uh, healthcare providers are going to be more proactive in reaching out and engaging with patients. So this is going to really move healthcare providers to just be really more proactive in reaching out and engaging with patients and having programs and things in place to help everybody just get, you know, be, be better with their health before they reach a point where they're high risk or to do more preventative things. And that's, that's great because it, it helps everyone overall, you know, there's going to be less people with, you know, maybe chronic health problems, um, that actually helps lower insurance costs for everybody. Uh, and it's, you know, who doesn't want to have a more, you know, healthy community and, um, have a healthier population. So oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. It's really, we think that's going to be really huge. It's gathered up steam. It's going to be even bigger in 2020. And we're excited because actually a lot of people who signed up for project Orca that we mentioned earlier, um, they're going to be using, Project Orca and being able to do HIPAA compliant email marketing to kind of push their population health and value-based payment goal. For those that think that, you know, doctors are so quick to offer a prescription and um, force medications on you and they just get paid because, you know, you're sick. This is a whole other way to rethink that. People being incentivized because you're healthy. Exactly. So it's great alignment between the patient, the provider, um, so really excited for that movement. You know, the more we learn about it, you know, the, the more excited um, we're see, to see how that kind of develops. Wonderful. All right. Well, that wraps it up for another edition of our Hypocritical podcast. And again, for more information and to read the full transcript and, of course, follow along, you can follow us on social media at Powbox. Also, you can go to our website, powbox.com. <laughs>